0: Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins, and it's great to have your company. It's incredible to think it's only nine weeks to Christmas. It's been What a year. 2020's been for many a year of great change. I'm certainly someone who's undertaken a significant transition in 2020. Life will return to normal, but I think most of us are now realizing it's going to be a new normal. This is a podcast about the Camino de Santiago or the Way of St. James. The Camino is a series of pilgrimages across Europe. Pilgrims walk sections or entire Caminos and most hope to arrive at the majestic cathedral in Santiago de Compostela, St. James, under a field of stars. The legend goes that the remains of Christ's Apostle St. James are interred in a silver casket beneath the church and you can visit the pilgrim's office to receive a certificate a plenary blessing. Well, talking about blessings, I met one of my heroes this week. Australians are mad about the game of cricket, and I played as a boy. and still have a great love for the game. And it's been said for years, the second most important person in Australia behind the Prime Minister is the captain of the Australian cricket team. Steve Waugh was captain from 1997 to 2004 and he's considered the most successful captain in Australian cricket history. I was a huge fan when he played. He was tough and disciplined and focused and immensely skilled, but he was also respectful and mindful of the history of the game. I met him this week. He was launching a new book, came into the studio, and we talked about his legacy and the fact that he now works with families who have children affected by rare disease. He didn't go into the commentary box or to coaching when he retired. He decided to use his profile and influence to establish a foundation to fund research and to help people suffering rare disease. Steve War talked about meeting Mother Teresa in Calcutta in India. He talked about how gentle she was and that when he saw her tiny hunched frame and gnarled hands he thought if this tiny person can make such a big difference, I ought to. And Steve was that day visiting a leprosy hospital. And he learned that girls from a young age in leper colonies basically sell themselves on the street to make money for their parents. And he at that moment decided to raise funds for a girl's wing of the clinic. And he's been back to India more than 60 times since that day. He's raised millions for the poor and the People with rare disease and you don't often get to meet your heroes, but when you do and they've achieved so much, it reinforces your faith in humanity, that same humanity spinning in the spiral of virus. And just like the hands of Mother Teresa, hope comes in the most unlikely places, like long walks, reaching out to other pilgrims around the world, longing for the Camino de Santiago longing for the time and space to wander the lonely paths of the Camino to share stories, history, little miracles, gifts of laughter and of love. Well, my quote this week is from Saint Mother Teresa. There are no great things, only small things with great love. Happy are those. My guests this week are Canadian pilgrims, Mark and Helena Litherland. They're on the line from Ontario. Welcome, pilgrims. Hello, Dan. Hi, Dan. Let's get the big question out of the way. Mark, you wrote to me after hearing me talking on the podcast about my fish pie. You asked for the recipe. Did you give it a go?
1: Uh, I have to say at this point, I haven't done it. Uh, I think, as you know, we went on a trip across Canada and that took us a month and that sort of side railed that idea, but I will make it soon and I'll get back to you on that.
0: Helena, before we get to the Camino, you've just returned from a trip across Canada. How is life in Ontario amid the virus?
2: Well, I think it's very much like everywhere else. We're we're very aware, very careful. Um, our our numbers are spiking right now in the the major cities like Toronto and Montreal, well, Montreal and Quebec, but, and Ottawa, Ontario. So it's very concerning, but it was somewhat expected. I just don't think that they realized um, that it was going to be so quickly and, and so high. So, yeah, we're all, we're all kind of a little skittish and nervous at the moment.
0: Yeah. So overall, Mark, if I could ask you, how has Canada fared sort of in comparison to other countries?
1: Well, compared to our neighbors to the south, United States, we've been in much better situation. Our our numbers per capita rate is much lower. Uh, the hospital admissions haven't been as high. The number of people, the deaths from it, are certainly much lower. But we we've had fairly restrictive uh, controls in place early on when the whole COVID started back in March, and it mm-hmm. really seems to have helped. As Helena indicated, it's surging again now, and that's primarily due to people returning to school, universities, partying, and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly the same as Australia, exactly the same. So, Helena, how long does it take to travel across Canada?
2: Oh, well, it depends on how many stop- stops you're at, but it's uh, from here to the, from Ontario, to, from, from just outside of Toronto to the very western part that we went to, which was Vancouver Island, uh, that was 6,000 kilometres. Wow. So, yeah, <laughs> it took us, um, I think it took us a couple of weeks, two, three weeks. Um, and But we stopped a few stops along the way and, and saw some sites that we were wanting to see. We stayed out of the major cities. We didn't go into any really highly populated areas. We, we went to a lot of our national parks and, and provincial parks that we'd been wanting to see. Yeah. Um, so that, that uh, was kind of our itinerary was just kind of stopping, uh, you know, one or two nights along the way.
0: How fantastic. Canada is a lot like Australia. It's a huge, broad land, and much of the country is uninhabited, I suppose. And we're particular in our uniqueness, I suppose, because we like our place in the world. Helena, I'll stay with you. What lured to Ontarians to El Camino de Santiago?
2: Um, there was a number of, of, of things. We were very, very active with our, our children, um, you know, with, with their, their activities, dance for, for our older daughter and soccer for our younger daughter. Um, and we ourselves did a lot of work with our younger daughter in in her soccer. We did a lot of training with her and it, uh, and, and what we ended up finding was that we were kind of all encompassed with them and we weren't really doing much for ourselves. Mm. So we did start doing a, a little bit of running and Mark and I, and we, we always do everything together. So it was, it was just kind of us. And, um, and after soccer finished, we thought, well, now what are we going to do? Um, and we we were just kind of looking for something. I'll, I'll let Mark uh, explain a little bit more because he, he kind of has uh, more more of insight in that. But, um, yeah, it was just something that, that we needed to do for ourselves.
0: Yeah. And, Mark, just before we get to you, you walked 500 kilometers of the Frances in 2016 and then returned two years later to do 300 kilometers of the frances and then September last year you walked the entire del norte so something resonated with you what lured you there what led you there do you think
1: well the first the first time we went we made a decision to only do the 300 cl- or 500 kilometers from burgos to santiago it was elena's idea that we start in Burgos versus Saint Jean Pierre de Port because this way we we could ensure that we would make it to Santiago and not certain that we would ever make it back to Spain again to walk another Camino. We thought it best. However, after we finished the Camino in twenty sixteen, that I, I certainly had a, a feeling of something was still missing, something was incomplete. I felt as if in a way that we had we had cheated ourselves by not walking some of the toughest portions, which is over the Pyrenees Mountains. Mm. And certainly we liked it. Uh we're we're getting older in age, and as Elaine indicated, our kids were growing up and leaving the nest. Uh we were starting to think about retirement. And one day on the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, I heard a, a documentary about a Canadian violinist by the name of oh. Oliver Shore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had produced an album called Camino. So he was on the show. Now this was sometime in 2008 and he had died that year due to cancer. And they were rebroadcasting the show to, you know, a memory of his life. And I never knew of him at all, but he did describe how he walked a thousand kilometers of the Camino in 2004. So we actually bought the album and uh, listened to it. It's an extremely haunting Sound—it's him playing in the churches and cathedrals across northern Spain. He did it as much as he could, or until they kicked him out of the yeah, church. They did. <laughs> he did. He got kicked out a few times. Yeah, yeah. But uh, beautiful music. And it is, yeah. again, when I got home, I, I think I suffered a little bit from the the pilgrim's depression or the longing to go back. I think you've talked about it yourself, and I've certainly heard others. And we're also part of a group in Toronto called the Canadian Company of Pilgrims, and they have biannual meetings, or sorry, meetings twice a year. And we were at one of their discussion groups, and that came up as a subject, and it just never left my mind. I thought, I've got to go back.
0: So you went back uh, two years later, you did another 300Ks. So, so did, you, did you only walk from St. John to, where did you walk that year? To Burgos. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, that yeah. way we had ensured, sorry, we ensured that we did the whole Frances. That was something that we both felt we wanted to do. Uh, you know, we hear so much about the Pyre- Pyrenees and the walk from Saint Jean. Unfortunately, when we were there, there was so much snow that we weren't allowed to go over the Pyrenees. We had to do the Val Carlos route, but that was supposedly the easy route. However, it was brutal, <laughs> but beautiful. <laughs> Helena, what's. What's the Del Norte like?
2: The del, oh, the Del Norte is spectacular. The, um, the scenery. I, uh, I I have roots and heritage in Spain. Uh, my mother is actually Spanish. She was born in Granada, and I have family there. So we've been back. To, we've been in Spain quite a number of times, but I've never realized how beautiful that northern coast is. Like it, it, it just blew me away. Um, it wasn't quite as Uh, as supported as the Fran says. So we kind of had to, yeah, we had to kind of fend for ourselves a little bit more. Luckily I speak the language. So that helped a lot. Um, And we were there in October and literally places were closing up as we were walking the route. So, you know, we'd get to an albergue and, you know, the following week it would be closed because they were closing up after that. So, and there were times when we were walking where, where we couldn't um, get food or, or yeah. breakfast number one and on the Frances, what our, what we loved about the Frances, we would have breakfast number one and breakfast number two. You know, <laughs> you'd, you'd start out and walk the first five or six kilometers and have your first cafe O or sorry, cafe con leche and, and uh, something to eat and then a couple hours later you'd have breakfast number two and so that was that was kind of neat, but uh, El Norte was uh, a totally different different experience
0: for, was it, for was, us. Was it difficult the terrain?
2: Yes, the first couple of weeks are pretty hard. Um, it's very it's it's all ridge um, ridges along the 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 shoreline. So it's it's valleys and 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 ridges. So you're constantly going up and down. Not not steep by any means, but just constant. So. It was very challenging, um, but again, just every corner you turned, there was just another view. I, I had picture after picture after picture, which uh, just just uh, I, I couldn't get enough of it.
0: How fantastic! Yeah, it was,
2: it was beautiful.
0: yeah, it's always a bit of a slower walk when it's really beautiful scenery, isn't it? Because you're stopping all the time to take photographs.
2: Yes, and and uh, I use my tablet, which is bigger, so <laughs> I had to get used to carrying my my tablet and pulling it out and taking a picture. But you know what? Uh, it, we had decided after doing the the two Caminos and the Frances that we were going to take our time and 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 take in the scenery and 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 enjoy the walk um, on the Frances. Kind of felt that you had to rush from from one you know spot to the next, and although we we saw a lot. Um, I think we we missed a lot, too, um, on the walk. So with El Norte, we we decided that we were going to just really take it all in, and, and, and we did, yeah.
0: What's it like, Mark, walking as a couple?
1: Well, for me, and I still say to this day, the Camino that Helena and I did in 2016, our first one, is the best month I've ever spent with my wife. And I mean that with all of my heart. It was, you know, you leave the worries of home, at home. You're just discovering what you see each and every day. Uh, we, you know, we, we didn't worry too much about that. It was a fancy hotels. We, we stayed primarily in albergues with some hotels along the way. We weren't uh, booking way ahead. We were just living more in the moment. And we, we tend not to do that when we're at home. Uh, and I'll tell you when we were walking at first Camino, I had a sore leg. And if I hadn't had Elena with me, she figured out how to tape my leg. I had an inflamed tendon in my left leg, my left calf. I, I don't think I could have finished. I was walking into Lyon. I was in complete agony. You know, we, we had planned a couple of days there anyway, just to see the city because it's so beautiful. Yeah. And Helena went online, figured out how to tape. She taped it. We iced the leg. We heated the leg because we stayed in this spa hotel just by coincidence. It was the best thing. And two or three days later, Dan, I could walk fine and the pain just diminished and it went away. So without the partner there, I'm not sure I could have made it mentally and physically.
0: Fantastic. And Helena, what do you, what did you learn about your marriage on that Camino? Um. Uh,
2: and Mark and I are very, very strong together. We, we've always done everything together. So I've always had ultimate trust in Mark. And, and you know, I, I think that's the whole thing with, with a good marriage is, is just not love, but also the trust that you have between each other. Um, I trusted him to, to help me along when I struggled. And I, obviously he trusted me. And I think that we also learned that we could walk for five, six hours a day and not necessarily talk, but but communicate regardless. Um, you can't have that much to talk about <laughs> between the two of you for that length of time. Yeah. So it was nice that, you know, we, we would walk along and we would have a little discussion and then we wouldn't talk for a couple of hours and it would be perfectly fine, you know. And, and then so I think it just... To me, I learned that our relationship and our marriage was as strong and as supportive as I always knew it was. Uh, it just kind of
0: it. Yeah, that's right. There's a there's a great photograph on your Facebook page, Helena, uh, of of you two. I think you'd only just been married. I think you're on your honeymoon, and someone oh. put it up, on, and you're in Europe. I think on your honeymoon. <laughs> That's a great photo. It's fantastic. You're so young. And you're so young, and the whole world, your whole life is in front of you. It's just like you can see how excited you both are. I love that picture so much. So let me ask. That,
2: that, that was hilarious. Oh my goodness, When That was posted. I, I Mark and I met when I was sixteen. Um, I was sixteen. He was nineteen, and we got married uh, four years later, only because we figured we couldn't get married when I was sixteen. That was just crazy. <laughs> so that picture, uh, when that came on, that was just uh,
0: that was just hilarious. It is very <laughs> funny. You're gorgeous. The pair of you are gorgeous. But Mark, I wonder then. Let me ask you this. What did you learn about Helena on the Camino de Santiago?
1: I've always known she's physically strong. She is a strong, she'll go outside and work all day. We live in the countryside. We have a big garden. She'll go work all day. The same with the Camino. She'd go out and walk all day. She never complains. And, you know, even when it's hard and I'm suffering physically, which I have on two Caminos, she's always there for me. When we get into the albergues, if there's anybody else, she's Mother Teresa. She's there helping them out. And, you know, I'll I'll give you a very short little story. We met a a German man on our second Camino, a guy named Heino. And he was there. He had a brief uh, time he could get away from work. He had massive black blisters on his foot. And this guy is huge, and he's an ex-German Special Forces. He's a personal bodyguard for executives of German corporations, so a big, strong guy. Well, I'll tell you, Helena and another Irish lady worked on his feet for what seemed like an hour, and that guy was brought to here. So grateful that somebody's willing to help, and that's, that's Helena. You know, she helps me. She helps everybody else. She's just a very strong mentally and physically woman and capable.
0: Helena, let me ask you then, did you feel that was a kind of duty? Did you feel like you, was it, was the Camino sort of, were you feeling like inspired because of the Camino or did you just see somebody in need and, and react?
2: No, I, I saw somebody in need, but also it, I think the Camino, and, I, and I've heard other people say the same thing, when you're walking the Camino, or when you're walking on the trail, you will stop and help a perfect stranger. Yeah. And, and it, it's just a natural thing. Um, and a lot of people that I see, and, and a lot of younger people, um, I see them, and I think, and because we have two older daughter, and we have two daughters, and I think to myself, I hope that if my children needed help somebody would stop to help them and I, and I and I look at, at these you know young people that are out there on the trail and they're they're suffering and they're struggling and if, and if I know that I can do something to help them along then of course I'm going to do it and as so I would hope that somebody would help my daughters yeah. in, in the same situation or not maybe a Camino type situation but any life situation yeah. So um, it's and of course, and I, I, I have to admit, I feel satisfied and, and good doing it. Um, who wouldn't? You know, who wouldn't feel good about helping somebody? Helping
0: yeah, the camino angel, the camino angel, Helena. What did you learn about Mark?
2: Um, again, I uh, with Mark, uh, he's he's to me, he's he's um, he's I can trust him in any situation and. I, I don't, um, and, and, and and on the Camino, it was, he led, you know, I'm a terrible navigator. I, I turn left when I'm supposed to go right, <laughs> and, and, vice versa, and he knows that, and a lot of times he laughs at me, but um, with Mark, he, uh, I, I don't know, he just, uh, he impressed me with his strength. I know that he was really struggling when we got to Leon, Um, but he just grit his teeth and walked in, and I, in the back of my mind, I was thinking I've got to get him through this because if he doesn't continue, if we had to quit at this point, he would never forgive himself. He would never live through, or, you know, he, he, he would think of this for the rest of his days. So I thought we're not quitting. We're going to get this, get through this. And thank goodness that um, we had the internet that I could go on and find out what to do and, and continue to do it through the whole through the rest of the communal, Mark says that we didn't, but actually, we taped his leg through the rest of the communal. But um, Mark, to me, is is my hero too. He's uh, he's somebody that uh, that I I, uh, I have loved since I was sixteen, and I continue to love him and trust him. And it's just uh, times like you know, walking that you know, eight hundred and thirty kilometers. Who who else would do that with their husband? I have a lot of uh, friends who, who look at me very oddly. that <laughs> to together. So, yeah, no, I, I would, I would not want to do it with anybody else. And I, I don't think I'd want to do it alone.
0: No, either. no, I think, I think it's a team. I think it's a team sport for you guys. That's for sure. Hey, Mark, are you both fit, regular walkers? Are you, did that, that aspect of it? I know that you've, we've been talking about an injury that you sustained, but by and
1: large, are you regular fit walkers? Yeah. We've always been active. You know, we, we, we did a a number of marathons 2008, 2009, 2010. So we, we, we transitioned and we continue to run a number of other races beyond that right up until almost we did our first Camino. So in addition to that, we've always been active. You know, we canoe, we have kayaks. Now we still keep busy. We still, to this day, we go on regular walks, uh, you know, Elena used to go to the gym every day where she worked. I had a gym where I worked, so I did spin class and and uh I and running with a number of friends, but uh I transitioned to walking always when I was gonna be doing a good Camino a couple of months before because they're different muscles. But yeah, we're 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 fit. We try to eat reasonably healthy. We do enjoy life, and we do enjoy a glass of Spanish wine and a tapa.
0: <laughs> Fantastic, Helena. Uh, poles, or did you walk with poles or no poles?
2: We did. We walked with poles. Um, initially, we we weren't sure. We were we were doing our you know initial training, and uh, and I have to I have to tell a, a story about the fitness thing, Dan. So the first Camino that we did, I was fit. I went like Mark said. I go to the gym every day, and I lost a lot of weight, and I was fit. And it was still tough, but you know, it, it, it was doable, and, and I felt good doing it. So when we went the second time, I thought, oh, I can't, I can't keep this regimen up too much. Like I really, I, I, the whole gym thing and all that every, every day was was getting too much. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this time. I'm going to see how absolutely unfit I. I can be and still do this Camino. And I didn't, you know, not that I I went slovenly or anything like that, but I wasn't as, as adamant about uh, my, 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 my fitness regime as I was on the first one. Well, I've got to tell you, Dan, I struggled uh, through that second one and I thought, okay, no, this is not working. I've got to be fitter for the third one. So yeah. uh, Yeah. We, uh, we went, we got back to our fitness regime, but, uh, yeah, the, uh, the poles, we started off with, uh, when we were training, we started off with one pole each, thinking, okay, well, we, we weren't sure about the poles, so we, we bought a set, and each one of us used one, and, and um, it very quickly realized that, no, the two pole thing is, uh, it's, is better than, than one pole, and as a matter of fact, I don't think that we would ever do anything now without our poles. It uh, saved us a number of times, uphill and down. Um, on rocky courses and uh, mud, even, you know. It, it, yeah. uh, the, poles, the poles were our saviors on a, on a lot of things, yeah.
0: Yeah, they're handy for yeah. putting into the ground so you can jump over puddles and, and patches of mud, aren't they? They're great.
2: Or even finding out how deep those puddles are. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and some, some of the trails are so rocky, especially that the poles were the, you know, second set of legs. And not only that, the thing I want to add is that we found at the end of the day, when you've already walked 25 kilometers and you've got three or four more to go, that little extra propulsion you get from the poles is just which kept your momentum going and just gave you a little bit extra energy.
0: Yeah, I, I think I've told this story many times here, carried a guitar on my back and, and I was leaning forward and Dr. Etienne, who we met, uh, said, you should be walking with poles to keep you straight totally transformed me overnight it completely changed everything
2: exactly that that was one thing also that we found that as you got tired earlier and even when we used to run it was the same thing you'd, you'd start hunching over you yeah. your, your shoulders would start scrunching in and all that and you're really restricting your your breathing and all that the poles really kind of kept you upright and, and yeah. uh, straight over which was was a big help
0: yeah. yeah and much better for looking at the view too so because you're not there looking you. at the ground <laughs> <laughs> so now, now this is a question. I, I suspect uh, I already know the answer to. But uh, uh, did you pack light? Perhaps Helena, you might answer. Did you pack light? And and does a couple share the combined weight of chattel evenly? No, we don't.
2: We don't share anything. We have. We go by the. Um, the premise that we are, you know, you're, you're you're looking after yourself. I mean, obviously, we look after each other. But as far as packing and um, personal stuff, it's all we we pack each pack our own. Uh, the first the first Camino, obviously, we we took way too much. Um, the second one, we knocked it down a little bit. The third one, we really really uh, knocked down a lot of the weight, but it still was heavy. It still felt heavy.
0: So, Mark, Mark, do you remember how heavy your packs were?
1: Well, I think in the first Camino, they were upwards of about 12 kilos, Ooh. 25, 26 pounds, which, you know, we knew about the rule. They say 10% of your body weight, which that was more than more than uh, we should have carried. But uh, as Elena said, we we just start to pare it down. But we found the real challenge was is that – we knew we could have weather, everything from summer to winter. And we didn't have too much warm weather, but, man, we had a lot of snow when we were there. And it's a good thing we brought some warm clothes. So a little s- heavy, but s- it was worth it. Well, hang on.
0: Didn't you say before you started in October? Or you walked in October? Was it snowing in, no- in October?
1: No. Actually, in October when we did the Del Norte, oh. the first few weeks, we actually had some really hot days you know, 30, 35 degrees. Right. But when we went on 2016, we went on the Camino Frances. When we went o- over Osobiero and Cruz Faro, we had snow. We had a good 15 centimeters in snow. Because
2: so, we started in March.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we were in, oh. we get the spring. Eastern. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's
0: right. In- yeah, it's beautiful, though, too, Osobiero, when it snows. Though. It's lovely, isn't it?
2: Oh, it's gorgeous. It was, and people, when we showed them that picture, they they could not believe that we were in Spain, but uh, it was, it was, um, it was quite cold and and, uh, beautiful, but that's why we needed all the gear.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So Helena, I'll stay with you. Did you do a lot of research? Did you know where you were headed each day? Are you, as I sometimes ask spreadsheet pilgrims?
2: We weren't, spread. We, we had the normal guides, we had uh, the Brewerley guide, um, and we would, uh, on the first two Caminos, we um, we just did it day by day, um, we would decide where we were going to be the next day, we, we kind of followed the routes and the suggestions, um, sometimes we would do a short day because we wanted to spend an afternoon, like we spent an afternoon in Guernica, uh-huh. Um, we spent a day in Bilbao, so we did a short walk so that we could spend, you know, so we, we kind of went off the, the, the guide a little bit at that point. When we were in Del Norte, uh, we actually had to book ahead. It was, uh, there wasn't as many albergues. Sure. It was, still, it was still busy, so we ended up booking two or three days ahead to, uh, to make sure that we were going to get where we wanted to go.
0: I sometimes talk here about spirituality, and I think Jackie Rubendahl Brookett mentioned last week the concept of thin spaces of the suggestion that the Camino has a great energy and is somehow a special place. And I tend to agree. But Mark, let me ask you, how do you describe the energy of the Camino?
1: It certainly exists. I found for that specific on the Camino, Frances. There was much more of a spiritual feeling to me. Uh, the Del Norte, not as much, partly because in the Del Norte, a lot of the churches weren't open. We're we're not overly religious individuals, but we do respect the religion. We do. We are very interested in the history and the architecture of the church, looking at the Romanesque and the Gothic and the Baroque. Uh, I went there. You know, my, my sort of private secret was is that, yeah, I was out there to search for spiritualism. You know, we, we've both worked in the corporate world, and there's no spiritualism in that at all. It's chasing the buck. But when we were there, was looking for more, and I was open and receptive to it. And we respected those that were there on the religious uh, pilgrimage. We respected those that were just walking for the fun of it. And we met both. But uh, I don't know how you could do, especially the Camino Frances, without feeling some level of the this, this spiritualism there. there. You know, for the thousands of years that pilgrims have walked the Camino and the hundreds of thousands of people, the history. And, you know, and in, in in also in the Del Norte, the one thing that I did feel, you know, the the history or the spirituality there there's one spot on the Del Norte where they recently found three hundred graves of people that were killed in the Spanish Civil War. So there's some ancient history, medieval history, and there's more current. But it 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 seems to put you in touch with your inner feelings. And if that in itself is reaching out for more from something else, it's certainly I was open for it and looking for it while I was there. Helena, do you think um
0: you as a as an individual and you as a couple um found what you were looking for then on the Camino?
2: I think so, yeah, I think we found um we found something that we can continue to be doing for many years. We found something that we can continue to do together for many yeah. years as well. We also found uh when we 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 just recently retired we retired last year actually last august um so we've been retired for a year now but before that we lived in the city um but we had our house uh, that we were going to retire to which we have now in the country which is a lot quieter a lot more simple um and the camino really showed us that you don't need Uh, a lot to be happy and to be satisfied and and that's what we found here that that um, the Camino has 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 taught us that just to be able to work in the garden all day is is a great thing you know and then just to to listen to the quiet Um, Hmm. yeah I I think we did I think we found we were looking for something we were looking for something else to do in our lives Um, the natural progression as far as we were concerned and we did find it because there are so many walks out there that we already talk about doing and want to do, whether it's full or partial or incorporate into a holiday. Um, what we've decided is that we are not traveling now unless it's something that is significant to us. And if we can incorporate a walk in there somewhere, then that'd be great.
0: Yeah. And Helena, I'll stay with you. What did you find most rewarding? about the pilgrimage uh,
2: I think it um, just the satisfaction of knowing that we walked 830 kilometers. I mean <laughs> to me that in itself is, is uh, very rewarding and uh, coming back to my children I to me to, to show their to show our kids that you can do things like this at our age. Um, as long as obviously you say stay healthy and, and, and fit, um, yeah, it was rewarding. I think I think our friends get tired of listening to us talk about it. but um, yeah, <laughs> but rewarding, uh, there, there's so many rewards out there to, to know that you have a community of people out there. Like we've met so many people and we've become friends with a number of people around the world that uh, we, we still stay in touch with. So it, it, uh, to us,
0: that's a reward just in itself. Mark, w- what was most challenging, um, both as individuals and as a couple, do you think?
1: For me, uh, I think the most challenging for me was not to rush every day. You know, yeah. I, I, I told a number of people when we did our first Camino in 2016, I think we were doing six kilometers an hour for the first week, five kilometers an hour for the second week, and four kilometers an hour for the third week. Yeah. In reality, in the third week, we are fitter than we started, but we came to the realize that you need to slow down. It, for, I, I do recognize now that that is the value or that is my challenge is that I need to stop, see where I am, in the, be more in the present, and I don't always do that. I was, uh, as Elena indicated, I was sort of the tour guide. I had the guidebook. I was out front. I was always the guy running to get to the albergue because we needed to be there. But that was the challenge, not to do that, enjoy the journey to the destination.
0: Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll stay with you, Mark, because Helena mentioned before that your friends and family are sick of you talking about it. What do they make of this, this, pilgrim, this pilgrim journey you two are on?
1: I think some, some people we know that especially from the running group, they they want to do similar things. They're just having troubles finding time in their life. They appreciate the effort and the the challenge. Others, some of our closest friends, they don't understand it in the slightest. They 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 would never they would never walk eight hundred and thirty kilometers where they could drive it in a day. because you know they can get it all in one day where we put it in 35 days and they just don't understand but again i'm not so sure they they understand the the concept what it is to be a pilgrim what it is to be on a pilgrimage and the benefits of that i think they only see what is the immediate benefit which means what you see in that given day where yeah you know we've been to villages now that we'd never go to for any other reason And they're in our memory for us forever. So, again, slow down, see what's around you. And we've adopted that so much more into our own current lifestyle.
0: So, let me stay with you, Mark. How do you describe the Camino to someone asking about it?
1: Well, definitely tell them that it's an ancient pilgrimage, you know, from medieval times, uh, Field of Stars, uh, Santiago de Compostela. But really, it's it's... Like the Buddha say, walking meditation, it it gives you time to think. Not only are you, you know, challenging your body, but you're bringing simplicity into your life in, in such a way that it gives you time to think about your life. And that's which I don't think most people in their hectic lives have that. So we try to explain it. I mean, pictures are one thing. It's a beautiful place. We tell them about the food and the wine, which I love. But in reality, the real benefits, which they can't comprehend, at some of them anyway, is just what you get out of it, and it's the simplicity. So it's still a challenge. We talk to them when they bring it up because they're sick of hearing about it.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, Helena, would you would you recommend it to everyone?
2: No, no. <laughs> I, no, there's there's some people that I don't think that that would benefit from it. I think, um,
0: but but uh, is,
2: as, much as, as much as I would think everybody should do it because I think they they would enjoy it. There there are there are some who who uh, some of our friends who I know would would not enjoy it.
0: Would not, but I sometimes would think not. it's those people who you think oh they they could never do it. They're the ones who ought to do it.
2: Well, that's true. They ought to do it, uh, but we um, we decided that we we you know we, as Mark would say has said we we've described it to people and we have tried to show them you know the benefits of it and all that. But we've decided that it's it's up to them, and we are not going to push um, our. Our view or opinion on them, because if it doesn't work out, I don't want them coming back and saying, "Well, you sure. know, we really didn't." Need
0: it. Yeah,
2: sure. Um, with our children, I would love our daughters to walk with us and and do it, but I don't want them coming and then not enjoying it, and then for you know for the rest of our lives, it'll we'll, it'll be it'll come back to bite us. But um yeah, I think everybody should do it, absolutely. Um But you you obviously have to have some sort of a uh, uh, it has to be in your head that,
0: that you want to do it. So Mark, this is a, a probably a difficult question, but it's if there's somebody listening and, and they are doing their preparation or they're sitting at their dining table listening to us now, what's something I must do on the Camino?
1: Certainly look back, look backwards, see where you've been. you need to yeah talking to people meet the people around you the one thing i recognized i think it was in the second camino most people were all the same we all want the same things but you know just the other day we went for a walk around the block and uh and we we were just as we saw people we'd say hello good morning and as you know when you're on the camino everybody says one camino and everybody responds but we find that in the city or in the suburbs, people don't do that. They look at you like something's odd. So when you go on the Camino, the one thing you have to do is make a point of saying hello, good morning, buen Camino to the people around you because you'll soon discover a wealth of really great people.
0: What's something I, I should avoid, Helena? Oh, uh,
2: bed bugs. <laughs> <laughs> so- I, I got... <laughs> yeah the uh we i had a bad experience with bedbugs on the El norte and uh it was not fun it was not fun at all um yeah that uh, to avoid well,
0: but just uh, tell us tell us that story how how did you come to get bedbugs uh, were they in the alberga uh, um,
2: we we stayed in um in portugalette which is uh not you know it's kind of a I wouldn't say it, it's not a very nice little town but we stayed at an inn um because the the albergue was i think it was closed or something like that and and it, it was just it was just one of those places where we probably should have checked the uh the beds a little bit more carefully and luckily mark didn't get it but because it was it was separate beds it was only my bed so yeah i was i was mortified uh, and then that was one of the reasons why I said to Marcus, "Is if I'm ever going to do a Camino again, it's going to be in the spring, because uh, the fall I think there's just too many people going
0: through." <laughs> so, so how did you get rid of them? And but but I, I, I appreciate that answer. And and then maybe Mark, after that, you might explain exactly how do I check for bed bugs. So Helena, first take take us through the, your 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 sort of journey with them.
2: Oh, we, I just took every piece of clothing that we had and our sleeping bags and everything and went to the closest laundromat and just, um, yeah, just, just put everything through the wash. And and uh, that was all it was all you can really do. And, and the dryer, the heat of the dryer to uh, to, to get them. Yeah, there, there was not much more that, that you could really do. But uh, yeah, Mark, I'll, I'll tell you how to check.
1: Yeah, when we, so after that, Every time we arrived at any place, we'd look at the bed, you look at the bed sheets, you look at folding any of the sheets or any of the seams of the bed sheets, and you would look for a line of little black dots, which is the excrement from a, a bed bug. I mean, the, the symbol on Elena's body was clear. There was a line of bites across her, her lower arm. Apparently they bite
2: in three, in three spots in a
1: line. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And it is the telltale sign is the line, isn't it? The line of bites. Yeah, gosh. I I have to say I saw a young lady, an Italian girl, uh had a, a bout of bed bugs um early on in when I walked in 2017 and uh she, it was Roncesvalles where she and the Dutch uh hospitaleros there they did everything short of setting fire to everything she brought into the place. Um, it can be a really significant problem, not only for the person with them, but anywhere else they might go afterwards, of course.
1: Dan, uh, well, I'll tell you a quick little story. We stayed in one albergue in the Camino del Norte. The, the albergue was called Ripaso del Anadon. And and Dion. And Dayon. They had had bed bugs that summer, I believe, six or seven times. Mm. They had they had exterminators in. So what they did, they implemented a, a program which was rather unique. When you arrived at the albergue, it was or it was called an eco lodge. You had to strip naked. You had to have a shower outside. They gave you clothes that you put on. You weren't allowed to bring any of your own clothes in, other than underwear or toiletries to uh, to uh, wear. So it was quite unique. And then the next morning, you had to take off their clothes outside on the veranda in the freezing cold and put your own clothes back on. <laughs>
0: That's amazing. But I suppose it works.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Well,
2: it worked,
0: but uh, <laughs> it wasn't fun <laughs> <laughs> I want I want to go back to Canada, uh, for a minute and, and talk about the similarities between Australia and Canada. I walked with three Canadians in 2016, Miles, Doug, and Kevin, they were from Winnipeg and Miles out of nowhere, some years later, sent me a news clipping of a guy named Gord Downey being giving, now he was being handed a feather by elders in the First Nations and to, to honor him for his life's work in sharing their stories and their struggles. And Gord was crying, and there was another man in a suit who was crying as well, and that was Justin Trudeau, the Canadian Prime Minister. Now, I didn't know who Gord Downey was. Well, of course, with Google and what have whatever, within hours, I knew his story or part of it. I knew about the tragically hip. I knew about his unique lyrics and it was a year before he died and I followed him closely in that final year. And I mentioned earlier that Australians and Canadians are very similar. There's a vastness to our lands and I think it lends itself to a nation of spirit and an openness to others. And people say Canadians are friendly. They say the same about Australians. And as Gord Downey said in the song Ahead by a Century, no dress rehearsal this is our life. Do you see, or how do you see the Camino being part of your lives into the future?
1: Well, we're up due to COVID. We're, we're not going anywhere. We had thought about, uh, actually going to the middle East and there's a trail through Israel called the Jesus trail. We had talked about trying to do that. It's a four or five day walk follows the path of Jesus in his final days. Uh, I love Spain. We definitely want to go back to Spain again. But I think the key thing is, you know, I I almost see that uh, when we're at home, it's like being in an albergue. It's a place to rest and contemplate and get recover. And then when uh, then plan for the next Camino. So I I really love the whole planning process of going on any Camino. Elaine, I'll tell you, I'm the I'm the researcher, YouTube and books and so on. Right. And to this day, we, we still go out. We we go on walks. So I think in a way we relive that portion of it, the physical aspect and the, the quietness that we get on the country roads. As we said earlier, we just came back from a trip across Canada and, you know, fundamentally the Camino has changed us. So I still see them on a way. We, we take trips more like a Camino. We We, we walk or we drive the paths less traveled, like this last trip in, in going across Canada. We went down some roads that we won't, it's not the quickest way to get across Canada, but it's certainly more scenic or more rewarding. So we made an, a point of, of going out of the way to see these places, and we do that even here in our own province of Ontario. If we're going from from A to B, we'll go out on the back roads, and it's similar ideas to a Camino. I mean, you walk on a path to village to village that you would never have to go to in any other way. We love the physical aspect. We love the discovery. I love the fact every day you're in a new village when you're on a Camino. And I I want to keep that enjoyment and excitement as we get older throughout our life. How wonderful.
0: How absolutely fantastic. Helena, I'm going to go back to the start. St. Mother Teresa said, there are no great things, only small things with great love. Happy are those. It's true, isn't it?
2: Oh, absolutely! And uh, getting back to the similarity between Australia and Canada, we met two absolutely amazing people halfway through our our um, Del Norte uh, trip, uh, Gary and Mary, and they're from Melbourne, Australia. And uh, we, Mark and I, have always kind of traveled on our own, and and never really gone out of our way to as much as we like walking with people it's usually only a day or two here and then we'll be off on our own and then maybe meet up with the same people you know three or four days and and travel with them again but mary and gary we traveled with them i think three weeks and i'm telling you we formed a friendship with them that i think is very very strong we've facetimed a few times since we've been back we were Actually, going to go to Australia in January, but I don't think that we're going to be able to do that now. But um, they they were just so wonderful. And their it was almost like their life, their family, and their situation in Australia mirrored ours in Canada. It was, there was so many similarities that it even their daughter's name and our daughter's name are the same. And they've got a daughter, Sarah, and we have a Sarah. So it, it was just such a wonderful experience meeting people like, like them that, uh, yeah, that, that to me, if I can meet more people like that on every Camino, I will do a Camino until the day I die.
0: Yeah, yeah. How fabulous. How fantastic. Now, I'm hoping that you might have put your heads together. Do you have a Camino story for us? Can you tell us a Camino story?
2: Uh well I'll hand you over to Mark because he has a Camino story yeah well it's
1: both of ours but he's going to tell it. Go goes. ahead. Uh, it it's a story but it's also there's a Camino a couple of Camino angels in the story. Uh, this was on the uh, Camino Francette in 2016. We we got up we were in Molina Seca. We had a 25k day plant, or at least that's what we thought we would be doing to Cacabelos. So we started walking, everything was good. Stopped for our normal cafe con leche and Tortilla Español. And we went on, but somewhere about halfway through our walk that day, we went left when we should have gone right. We were in a town and I lost track of the yellow markers or the Camino shells. And I, we were walking down a street. I looked to the left and I saw one, but it was like the next block over. So we said, oh, we just accidentally at the last turn made a wrong move. So we we went over to that road. We stayed on that road. And every periodically there was a Camino marker. But it didn't seem like they were as frequent as we had seen previously. So we walked on another three or four K. And then a guy, a a Spanish man in a truck who must have been a local, stopped and, and said to us, are you walking to Santiago? And Elena, in in Spanish, answered him, said, yes. And he goes, well, if you are, you're on the wrong road. (laughs) He says, the Camino path is on the other side of the auto route. But he says, if you keep going up this road, there's a bridge that will take you across the auto route. So we went. It sounded like it was close. It was another two or three kilometers. We get over the auto route. We get back onto the main trail of the Camino. What we did discover is that we were on a side trail that went to a monastery. That was not our intention because it was an extra 5K out of the way. So we got over the bridge. We're dead tired at this point. We're a little bit frustrated, a little bit down in the dumps, hungry because we hadn't eaten any lunch. It was getting on in the day. I think it was like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We finally made it into Cacobalos. The, the albergue that we wanted to stay at was on the far end of the town. It was the Meniso albergue. The reason is that the review said that it was in a circle around a central courtyard and there was only two beds per room. And as you know, when, when you're in an albergue, you hear every sound that the human body can make <laughs> and sleep is not necessarily uh, granted to you that day. So we got to the albergue and it was closed. We're not sure if it was out of business or they just closed for renovations or some specific reason. We just stood there devastated. And Elena says, well, what do we do? We're on the far end of the town. Do we go back? And I go, no, I'm not going back. I'm going forward. So we ran into a German guy, a guy named Winfried, that we had never met before, and I, but I'd always heard that the German guidebooks were the best. So we compared my good book, his guidebook, and I said, we're we're devastated here. We're we going to go. The next town up was called Piros. I think it was another two and a half or three K, in fact, uphill, unfortunately. We thought, all right, we'll do it. We're going to get there late in the day. We're going to be there 3.30 or 4 in the afternoon. Again, no lunch. So we go. We walk to Piros. The be, the albergue only has 20 beds so we we're a little worried that we were there late in the day we may not even get a bed so we were prepared if we had to we might have to get a taxi to the next town only albergue in town we walked into the albergue and a woman an english woman came out named lou and she goes would you like a cup of tea we didn't even say hello she offered us tea. we said yes please so we drank the tea i said is there any any beds available she goes yeah you're the first ones so we checked in and elena said to lou she says is there any place that we could get a bite eat we haven't eaten she goes you guys go have a shower i'll fix you it's a vegetarian albergue i'll fix you a a a mushroom omelet we said sure you got any cold beer She says, oh yeah no that so we go have a shower we get our bed come back she's got her omelets ready for us we have a beer and we go wow you know, the feet are starting to come back to life. We feel clean again. We feel hopeful that it wasn't complete loss. And we went outside. It was later in the afternoon and other people started to come. And we made a little video of ourselves because over the previous 48 hours, we had some real spectacular things happen. And we had really, really low. We had gone down the mountain into Mount Molina Seca, which is a treacherous yeah. uh, journey. Uh, you know, the ber- Alberia was closed. We walked close to 33 kilometers, which we try to do no more than about 25 in a day. We just find that's comfortable for us. But we were so grateful. And this woman, Lou, who was the hospitalitaro, who would be there for the whole summer, took care of us like our grandmother. It was just absolutely the best. And then we, we stayed there. We had dinner there, luckily, because there was nothing in town. It was the best meal we had. It was vegetarian. We're not vegetarians, but it was absolutely delicious. We met a few other people that uh, one tall Danish guy, his name was Thor, six foot eight. We stayed in touch with that guy for the rest of that Camino. And uh, Winfried, the German man that we had met earlier, stayed there. And there was a Canadian girl there and a couple of another German guy and a Scottish guy who walked 50K that day, which is crazy. So we had the worst day and we had the best day and we met two people that put us back on a, a good, in a good frame of mind.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Helena, I might throw the final question to you. What would you say to somebody who is thinking of walking?
2: Oh, you know what? I'd say just do it, do it. You'll not regret it. Um, you might you might hate it. You might love it, but just do it um, because Life is just too short not to to, to take these experiences.
0: Yeah, I, and I think I think also the the great journey that you two have been able to share together is something very special too, isn't it, Helena?
2: Oh, absolutely. And we continue to sh- do things together, and and uh, I, I can't think of doing anything other, you know, other than with Mark. So yeah. It's the perfect thing to do together.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I want to say to you both, thank you so much for your honesty and your openness, your Canadianness. <laughs> and I'll finish with another <laughs> Gord Downey lyric. Come in, come in, come in, come in. From thin and wicked prairie winds, come in. It's warm and it's safe here and almost heartening here in a time and place not lost on our imagination." Thank you so much, Mark and Helena, for taking the time to talk to me. I was hoping to visit Canada one time soon to do some shows, but of course we can't go nowadays. It might not be until the end of next year before we're allowed to leave Australia. But I look forward to catching up one day face-to-face. In the meantime, Buen Camino.
1: Buen Camino, Dan, and you've always got a place to stay if you need it.
2: Buen Camino, Dan. Take care.
0: My guests this week were Canadian pilgrims. Mark and Helena Litherland. It was Saint Mother Teresa who said, There are no great things, only small things with great love. Happy are those. Meet your heroes. Be inspired. I'm Dan Mullins. Thanks for your company this week and every week. And until next week, Buen Camino.